if a song that sucks the, the emotion out of you and then spews it back into you is number two, I don't know if I want to hear number one. Hey, rockers, welcome back to Extra Credit, the Rock You podcast. I'm your co host, Seth Hinckley. Sitting to my left here is the stone gossard to my Matt Cameron. That one I don't even get. <laughs> <laughs> Because it's a Pearl Jam reference. Oh, well, that's why I don't get it. So go ahead. Yeah. It's Becky's husband, Matt Black. All right. <laughs> hey, Seth, how you doing? I'm doing good, man. How are you? I'm doing all right. Except I'm a little, I'm a little, uh, I'm a little worked up today. Here, here, here's some Kleenex. Uh, <laughs> here's some Kleenex. Why, why are you, why are you so worked up? Because today, Seth, we're going to be talking about our top five saddest songs or top five sad songs. You do your own grammar. Oh, but, man. I think I'm going to cry. Anyway. I probably am. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, some of these songs might actually get me to do that because these things are pretty stinking sad. So before we get to the crying part, what are you wearing today? Well, today I'm wearing a shirt you gave me, actually. Really? I'm wearing my Cure t-shirt because The Cure writes a sad song better than anybody. And they even write whole sad albums. I don't actually have any of their songs in my top five, though. They're all Cure? No, I don't have any Cure songs in my top five. Oh, you don't? Just How is that possible? Because I got five sadder songs. What do you want oh, from me? Oh, okay. <laughs> Just leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sporting, I'm sporting a Pearl Jam shirt that harkens back to their original album, 10, with the stick man on the front. I see where this is going. You, do <laughs> well, you? Well, I think so. You think? I think. Okay. Well, yeah. we'll see when we get there if I pick the same song that you're thinking about. All right. Criteria-wise... Yeah, the song has to be sad, but did you have any other rules that you put in place? Uh, no, not really. I didn't have any hard and fast rules on this one. I mentioned when we did our Spooky Songs episode that I don't scare easy. Like, the stuff that scares people doesn't really scare me. Well, I get sad easy. So, like, pretty uh, much anything works for me. I got, a like, an 87-song song list here that I'm working off of. <laughs> um, but I did find, actually, that a lot, of the, a lot of the artists that do Spooky well also do Sad well, so there's quite a bit of overlap. Hmm. And I also found, as with the Spooky songs episode they're just whole albums that are sad so i'll yeah. mention a few of those in my honorable mentions and they may or may not show up in my top five as well what about you so i kind of went with you know there there are certain songs that are sad for you because of the context in which you hear them or the time of your life or whatever you're going through i tried to take that out of the equation yeah i did too and just say that the song itself has to be about a sad subject and the music has to pull at your heartstrings so that's where I went. Gotcha. Those were my rules, and obviously had to be sad. Do you want to start, or you want me to start? I think it's your turn to go first. I think it is my turn. Yeah. So my number five sad song is Grave Digger by Dave Matthews. It's one of his solo efforts, and it's off of the album Some Devil in, from 2003. And while my favorite version of this song, because Dave does his solo stuff with the band uh, when they play, my favorite version of this song is the live performance on their the Dave Matthews Band record, The Gorge. It is one of his solo efforts. So it's a song that chronicles the lives of the characters of the songs by giving their birth and death dates and some poignant details about their lives. And when the details get to the kids who died too soon, that's just really heartbreaking. But the chorus is really what gets you. Grave digger, when you dig my grave, could you make it shallow so that I can feel the rain? The solo, yeah, the solo acoustic work by Dave on this song is the perfect complement to the lyrics. 
it's one of those songs that I wish I could play on the guitar, but I can't stretch my hands the way Dave does and play all those crazy chords. And amazing song makes me cry almost every time. What's your number five? My number five is from an album I've referenced many times and various of our other episodes, and it's one of my favorite albums. It is the title track to Dire Straits Brothers in Arms, so it's Brothers in Arms. Yep. First of all, it, it was a it's an anti-war song. It was written during the time of the Falkland Islands War. I might come back to that later. It is a sad song, but first of all, it's on an album full of sad songs. So just on this album alone, you've got So Far Away, Your Latest Trick, Why Worry, Ride Across the River, and The Man's Too Strong, in addition to the title track. They're right. all sad, but what really makes this song stand out is the guitar tone and the guitar work by Mark Knopfler, where he's essentially singing a lyric and responding on the guitar. And everyone knows that Mark Knopfler is a famed Stratocaster player, but yeah. he wrote this album when he was inspired by the sound of his 59 Les Paul. That's what he plays on, if not the whole album, at least most of the album. And you can hear the, just the warmth and the richness of the Les Paul, but between his vocal delivery, between the beautiful minor chords, and between this almost crying quality of the guitar, you get a song that will move you every time, even if you don't think about what it's about, and it is an anti-war song. Yeah. That's my number five. What's your for number four? My number four is another heartbreaker. It's Breaking the Habit by Linkin Park off of, off of Meteora from 2004. A lot of people think that this song was written by Chester Bennington, but it wasn't. It's a song about drug addiction that was written by Mike Shinoda, the guy who does the spoken word stuff. I guess you could call him the rapper of the band. And when Shinoda showed the lyrics to Chester Bennington, Chester teared up at how much he related to the song, so much so that he had trouble performing it for mm. about a year after they recorded it for Meteora. And very sadly, the song proved to be prophetic because Chester had his own battles with drug addiction and depression since childhood, and he ended his own life in 2017. Bennington's vocals really tear at your heart, and hearing somebody struggle with how depressed they are and what they want to do about it is just heart-wrenching. So I do want to say this. If you or somebody you know is thinking about or expressing thoughts about suicide in the U.S., you can call or text 988 to get help. That's the National Suicide Hotline. And if you're in France, you can call SOS Amitié at 0972394050 to get help. It's an important message. If you are in that spot, please reach out and get help. We would much rather have you listening to our podcast and doing better. So reach out and get help if you need it. And we're only on number four. Yeah, now. that's this number is gonna four. Get, this is going to get hard. All right. All right. You ready for my number four? Shoot. Uh, my number four is Kid Fears by Indigo Girls. I love that I song. I love that song, too. We've referred to it before because Michael Stipe does the backing vocals, which I think right. is what puts it over the top for me into the, li into the list. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It is, depending on how you read it, it is about some just pretty normal kid stuff, how difficult it is. You could read it a different way, that it's about something specific, but I don't read it that way. It's just you want to take this kid and give him a hug. It's tough to be a kid sometimes. Yes. And um, the, the vocal delivery is beautiful, but it's the outro with Michael Stipe's backing vocals that sends it over the top. And Indigo Girls is one of those bands that does sad really well. There are numerous examples. Um, Blood and Fire, which I think is on the same it's album. It's on the same record. Yeah. yeah um, that's it. Kid Fears by Indigo Girls. Those three, when they sing together, is just amazing. That's that's the Athens connection. Because yeah. I think the Indigo Girls are from Atlanta, but Atlanta and Athens, that music Close scene enough. is really tight. R.E.M. might have a few sad songs in their catalog, too. Just a few. <laughs> yeah. 
Definitely. What's your number three? My number three is by a guy that you like a lot. Okay. Billy Joel. I do like Billy Joel a lot. And the song is called And So It Goes. That's good. Uh, It was on the album Stormfront in 1989, but he actually wrote it six years earlier in 1983. That makes sense now that I think about it. This is a song about a guy pouring his heart out to the woman he loves, and he doesn't think that she loves him back. The piano on this record is just as mournful as Billy's voice is on the track. The poetry of his lyrics is amazing. It's written in iambic tetrameter. Whoa. And that's something that, while Shakespeare wrote all, all, a lot of his stuff in iambic pentameter, that's five, five, feet. five feet per line. This is four feet per line. And if you don't know what feet per line means, it's a unstressed syllable and a stressed syllable equals a foot. The last line of two of the verses shows how vulnerable he is. And this line is in iambic tetrameter. And you can have this heart to break. He wrote this song about his failed relationship with model Elle McPherson, who was in her really? teens while Billy that. was in his 30s. didn't know that. And after that relationship failed, he married uh, Christy Brinkley, Christy Brinkley yeah. as his second wife. And I suspect that their daughter, Alexa, is named after my friend who met Christy Brinkley in a bodega in Greenwich Village and had a little conversation with her. I- I'll tell you that story some, o- some other time offline. Okay. Wow. That's interesting. <laughs> All right. So are you on number three? I'm on number three. Okay. What's your okay. three? So my number three is from a terribly underappreciated band, Big Head Todd and the Monsters. Who are One of my wife's favorite bands. They're awesome. They have so many good albums, but I really think that, I think it's their second album, uh, Sister Sweetly, is the best album. Uh, has an, a bunch of good, sad songs on it as well. The saddest is Tomorrow Never Comes. Uh, and I don't even, I, I do actually know what the lyrics are. I think I even printed them out. It's not un-Mark Knopfler-like in the fact that Todd Park Moore, who plays guitar and is the lead singer and the principal songwriter, responds to himself with a guitar. And yeah. both of, both his vocal and his guitar playing are incredibly powerful, strained, just really, really wrenching. Uh, I do have some lyrics here. He sits beside her in the evening. She turns and asks him for a light. He works so hard so he'd be something. Just what it was, she never knew. He lays beside her as she's sleeping. She asks if everything's all right. Is there a secret he's been keeping? She doesn't know anything, he says. He doesn't feel anything, she says. And then the last line, there's a bunch more than the last lines. I love you tender as you're sleeping. I love you bitter through the day. It's about, yeah, it's about being lonely in a marriage or in In a a couple. It is, it is so powerful. You don't even have to listen to the lyrics, though, to be touched by this song. Tomorrow Never Comes by Big Head Todd and the Monsters. When you said Big Head Todd, I thought you were going to go with Broken Hearted Savior. It's a, it's a good song. It's not as sad as this one. That's on the same record, too, yeah. or same album, too. And there's, there, again, there's a whole bunch that will really get you, but that will get you the most. My number two is I Can't Make You Love Me by Bonnie Raitt. It came out on Luck of the Draw in 1991. Now, for one of the best slide guitar players of all time to record a song without her signature instrument... And have it be one of the saddest songs that's ever recorded. And there are a lot of people that think this one's number one. Tells you what a great artist that Bonnie Raitt is. Her voice is clear as a bell and sad as hell when she tells you the story of letting go of the man that she loves who doesn't love her back. She recorded this vocal in one take. That's all she needed. She said that... that 
Yeah. She said that the song was so sad that she couldn't recapture the emotion of that first take. And they asked her to do it again, and she said, nope, that's it. In an interview in 2002, she said, I love that song, and so does the audience. So it's almost a sacred moment when you share that, that depth of pain with your audience, because they get really quiet, and I have to summon some other place in order to honor that space. I can't make you love me if you won't. I mean, just horrible, just heart-wrenching. I know the song, I have to listen to it. Yeah, it's an amazing tune. It's only done with a synthesizer, bass, drums, and a piano part that, oddly enough, is played by Bruce Hornsby from Bruce Hornsby That's and the Rage. That's very cool. Yeah. Not too odd, though. I'm not surprised. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a really good piano player. Yeah, so shows up on a lot of a lot of records, yeah. a lot of songs. Yeah. yeah, ready for my number two? I'm ready for your number okay. two. Okay, uh, this is a little bit of a this is probably an even less well known band than Big Head Todd and the Monsters. But have you heard of a band called the Low Anthem? No, I haven't. It's a folk rock band, very interesting band. Um, they ri- originated at Brown University, my alma mater. Oh, that's uh, why I, you know. One them. of my friends, well, actually, one of my friends had played with them. Uh, oh wow! I'm, I'm, I'm older than they are. He's older than they are, but he stayed as a grad student and got to know them a little bit then. Cool. And um, they're just a really great band. I've seen them a couple times in Paris. By the way, going back to our one minute matchup a couple episodes ago, he sent me a link to one of their songs which I'd never heard, and I looked up and they were going to be in Paris two days later. And I went and bought a ticket for like ten bucks and saw them, and it was a great experience. And I chatted with them after. That's why I love going to small shows nice. like that. Nice. Anyway, talk about a band that does sad. Oh my goodness. They have uh, a lot of their stuff is very sad, but they have an album called Oh My God, Charlie Darwin. And the sort of title track, Charlie Darwin, will absolutely just kill you. And it's not even the saddest song on the on the album. Record. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna ma- refer to a couple others, but Charlie Darwin is what I picked. And I don't really know what it's about. The lyrics don't really make a whole lot of sense. But the music is just it's devastating. And yeah. the vocal delivery is devastating. And it's clearly about loss. Confusion, rootlessness, something. For me, it's impossible to hear this song without projecting all of my feelings onto it. Yeah. Um, and it just it sucks it out of me like a vacuum cleaner. It's like, boom, it's all you know, it's all out front now. Well, I guess that, that would be good if it took them out, but it actually does the opposite. <laughs> it recirculates them. Um, yeah, but there are, there are two other songs on the album I'll just, I'll just refer to as a little preview of honorable mentions. The Ticket Taker, which is just very sad, and I won't go into detail, and a song called To Ohio, which... As you listen to the song, you realize it's about a man who's transporting his wife's ashes to to deposit them in Ohio. And boy, okay, Charlie Darwin by The Low Anthem. If a song that sucks the the emotion out of you (laughs) and then spews it back into you is number two, I don't know if I want to hear number one, man. Uh, Number one's a little more conventional. I'm going to need to go see a psychiatrist and get some medication after this show. I I got something in my eye. (laughs) <laughs> don't don't look. I there's going to be a Spotify playlist with all these songs, but just don't listen to it unless yeah. you're like sitting outside in the sun and doing things that are happy for you. Okay, so my number one is the shirt I'm wearing. It's black by Pearl Jam. That's where I thought you were going. This song is just the essence of heartbreak. Eddie Vedder's vocal performance makes you feel the pain in his heart as if it were your own. In the book, Pearl Jam 20, Vetter wrote about the meaning of the song. He says it's about first relationships. The song is about letting go. It's very rare for a relationship to withstand the earth to withstand, sorry, the earth's gravitational pull and where it's going to take people and how they're going to grow. I've heard it said that you can't really have a true love unless it was a love unrequited. It's a harsh one because 
then your truest love is one you can't have forever. Stone Gossard wrote the music for this, and his tune is a perfect match to Vedder's lyrics and his vocals at the end of the track. The last bit of lyrics on this are just the clincher. I know someday you'll have a beautiful life. I know you'll be a star in somebody else's sky. But why, why, why can it be, can it be mine? It just breaks your heart. And then at the end of the track, it's just Eddie singing, not lyrics, but just kind of letting the emotion out. And like you've said before, multiple times on this podcast, you don't even really need words to convey the emotion. And it's just heart-wrenching to listen to that whole thing. The band never released Black as a single. You wouldn't really know it. They wanted to keep it as the emotional song that it was, that it is. Yet, even though they didn't release it as a single, it made it to number three on Billboard's mainstream rock tracks chart, which I find pretty amazing. People went looking for that. That's how good that song is, and that's how sad that song is. One of my favorite ever performances by a rock you band. My band Blink Twice did that in June at La Javelle, and wow, just brought the house down. You can look that up. You can look that up on our YouTube channel, which yeah. is linked from our website, www.rock-u.fr, or you can just search uh, Rock U Paris on YouTube, and you'll find it. Ready for my number one? I don't know, man. Do I need to take some You might want to take happy some happy pills. pills. Yeah, okay. Before we well, get into my this? My number one is a more conventional choice than some of the others, okay. but it is by an artist who I think does sad better than anybody else, and amazingly, he was also my number one on my spooky songs list. Okay. And that's Elvis Costello. In this yeah. iteration, Elvis Costello and the Attractions, but he's done solo work and Elvis Costello and the Imposters and a lot of collaborations. I could have gone with a couple different tracks on this one, but I went with Almost Blue, okay. uh, which I think is on Imperial Bedroom. Now I've forgotten. Ironically, he's got an album called Almost Blue, but this track is not on it. Um, <laughs> he, It's sad on its own, and it's sad because of some of the dimensions that are involved. And I'm going to try to tell the story succinctly but the track is fairly straightforward he wanted to emulate Chet Baker now if you don't know Chet Baker he's a jazz trumpet player who does sad better than anyone in jazz in my opinion Yeah, and he just wanted to capture the same emotion and he did it it's a song mostly piano there's a little bit of drums Mm -hmm. and some other things in there but it's mostly piano and it's a song about it, it seems to be about a man who's in a relationship but he's regretting the relationship he ended to be in this one it's it's kind of brutal it's kind of tough yeah Again, being the theme of being lonely in a marriage and wondering what might have been. But he captures, through, through the vocals and through the instrumentation, he captures the Chet Baker melancholy. Well, there's more to the story. You can end right there. It's incredibly sad. Go listen. But there's more to the story. Uh-huh. So Elvis Costello later in life, have, or later in his career, sorry, ended up having a collaborative relationship with Chet Baker. He brought Chet oh, Baker in. Oh, that's cool. I he, didn't know that. Yeah. He, so he brought Chet Baker in to play a trumpet solo on his own version of a song he wrote for someone else called Shipbuilding. Okay. Which could easily have been my saddest song instead of this one. And going back to Money for Nothing, or Brothers in Arms, rather, sorry, it was written about the Falklands War. It was about the resurgence of the shipyards okay. building warships. And how this was just a sham, how these people were going to descend into poverty again when the war was over. It's an incredibly moving song, but Chet Baker's trumpet solo, it's unbelievably sad. And then Chet Baker, first of all, a story is Chet Baker had a, was notoriously an addict. He had a terrible drug problem, died very unhealthy and poor. He thought he was being paid scale wages to come and do this work. Elvis Costello was a huge admirer and was 
going to pay him a lot to come in and play. Yeah. But he thought he was just getting musicians scaled, basically minimum minimum wage. wage. Minimum wage. Yeah. And he was very touched by the fact that Elvis had such regard for him. He began to cover Almost Blue, which is the song I putting on my, as my number one. Right. And it's worth going to listen to Chet Baker's cover of Elvis Costello's song. Even though Shipbuilding is a different Elvis Costello song, the whole... Uh, well, it brings it back to where Chet exactly. Baker ends up doing Almost Blue. To me, Blue, Almost yeah. Blue, every time I hear it, I think about the song, but I also think about the whole, the sadness of Chet Baker's life and what he was able to bring musically in terms of making you feel. So Almost Blue by Elvis Costello is my number one. Good story. I hope so. We doing some honorable mentions? We're doing some honorable mentions. I see your list is short, so why don't you? Well, I don't know. I went first last. You you, you went first last time. You want me to go first? Go first, and I'll, okay. I'll finish. Okay. So off. I'm cheating again. I got five <laughs> songs. I got five songs that were on other lists that I didn't use as a result. I mentioned in a, I think it was the story songs episode. The band played waltzing Matilda by the Pogues, right? Which you mentioned as another song. I forget which one, but that's a song. When I tried to learn it, I could not get through it without crying for months. Yeah, I have to stop. I really couldn't do it. I couldn't make it to the end. The Boys of Summer by Don Henley. Is, maybe it wouldn't make my top five, but I find it has a real wistfulness to it. it Bring On the Night by The Police, which I never knew was about a killer. I always thought was more about suicide, and I always found it very sad. In a Little While by U2, which is made more sad by the fact that Joey Ramone allegedly right. li- was, was the last, the last song, song he heard he before heard. he died, and he said, what a beautiful song, and then died. A Sign of the Times by Harry Styles, which has a lot of meaning, and we covered that in, I don't remember which episode, outros. Outros. Outros, best outros. yeah. Okay, um, a song I absolutely could have used is Constant Craving by K.D. Lang, who also does Sad very well. That's a really good song. And has a bunch of songs on that same album, which are also sad. Um, I didn't use a Beatles song for this one, but I easily could have used uh, She's Leaving Home, <laughs> which I cheated not using in our Story Songs episode, which is very sad. I could have used Julia, which John Lennon wrote about his mother, who was killed, I believe, in a car. I, I believe she was run over by a car. And oh. uh, For No One, which is Paul McCartney's lament of a, a, a failed relationship. Pink yeah. Rabbits by The National gets me every time. I don't know why. A Change is Gonna Come by Sam Cooke. The frustration and pain and yeah. the struggle of, for civil rights. And That <coughs> Look You Give That Guy by Eels, which is just one of my favorite, favorite, favorite songs, and it's about an unrequited love. I Go to Sleep by The Pretenders, which is about being far away from your loved one. And yeah. there's a whole bunch more, a whole bunch more. Uh, I'm trying to skip. I got, I got to mention, I also use Maggot Brain in our my instrumental top five yeah. list. And I mentioned at the time that the guitar work by Eddie Hazel in Maggot Brain, he was told by, uh, uh, oh my God, I'm blanking on the name of the Funkadelic guy, Clint. Uh, George uh, Clinton. George Clinton, thank you. Uh, <laughs> told him, imagine your mother, you just heard your mother died and now play the guitar for 15 minutes. And it sounds exactly like that. It's just a wail of pain. Yeah. Billy Holiday by Warpaint, one of my favorite bands. Just, that's just how this bird sings by the Twilight Singers who do sad really well. And the rest are mostly just repeats of other bands. The Cure again, Cowboy Junkies, Cran Berries, Dire Straits, Billie Eilish, her whole album, Happier Than Ever. Wait, is it Happier Than Ever? The album is Happier, yes, Happier Than Ever, which I think is her latest. And So by Peter Gabriel has six oh, or seven yeah. songs that easily could have shown up on this list. Don't uh, Give Up, yeah. the, the duet he does with Kate Bush. Which oh, you mentioned on, I think, the gosh. collaborations. Yeah. Um, Mercy Street is, uh, not Mercy Street. Yeah, Mercy, Mercy Street, Street is the one, is that's, one. that I think is yeah. the, the saddest of those. I mentioned Hole, and the album, my God, I'm blanking on the album, is Celebrity Skin. I mentioned that on a previous episode. There's a whole bunch of songs. Oh, Northern Star is the one I used, but yeah. a whole bunch of sad songs on that one. Sting does sad very well, too. Morrissey does sad very well, too. R.E.M. does sad. The Eagles actually do sad pretty well there's a bunch of sad, sad Eagles cafe song. yeah i'm still going i got tons more but i'm gonna stop there <laughs> all right i've got kind of a short list ghost by the indigo girls 
Yeah. If you don't know that one, go go listen to that. It's just a heart wrencher. And even though this song was used in the uh, commercial for some animal charity, Angel by Sarah McLachlan. It's about heroin addiction. Two songs that kind of go together, All My Love by Led Zeppelin and Tears in Heaven by Clapton. They're both about the singer's loss of their son as a child. And that's just something horrific that I wouldn't, wouldn't even want to think about. Dave Matthews Band does Grace is Gone. The tune of the music doesn't sound as sad as the lyrics do, but when you listen to the lyrics, you're like, oh, that's just horrible. Supermarket Flowers by Ed Sheeran about losing his mom, a heart wrencher. And then one that would have been number one on my list had it not been a country song. He Stopped Loving Her Today by George Jones. Don't know it. If you don't know this song, you need to go listen to it. A friend of mine from college and I, who used to just talk music all the time, kind of like you and I do, we both have agreed that that is the greatest country song of all time, and it's probably one of the saddest songs of (laughs) all time. So, He Stopped Loving Her Today by George Jones. Yeah, I'm just going to say, you should listen to the Spotify playlist. You should get on there. Put, you know, set yourself aside a good half hour. Just have a good cry fest. You'll feel a lot better when you're done. <laughs> Hopefully so. Hopefully so. <laughs> if you want to listen to the songs that we mentioned on this podcast in their entirety, there is a Spotify playlist that you can find in the show notes that has them all. All right, we're back. I'm not sure how many of you know this. Matt is not only the co-host of this podcast, the dean of Rock U, the guitarist and singer for the Doodads, and also Becky's husband, but he actually, (laughs) his real job, sorry, air quotes, real job is a science teacher. It's been that way for a while, yeah. Yeah. So Matt has leaned on me in my professional stance as a lawyer to do some things on this podcast. So I'm now going to turn the tables and lean on him as a science guy to tell us about something that was a little popular a few months ago that I saw on the internet that I had a big question about. So Matt's going to tell us how Janet Jackson was able to crash a bunch of laptop computers. Yeah. How was that possible? Well, you want to set us up with the saw? You should you want me to do that? You want to tell us what's happening and I'll try to explain what happened. So, evidently, Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation that came out back in the 80s, the song Rhythm Nation on the album was the the culprit. That was the culprit. And it was somehow or another causing computers to crash. Yeah. So how did that happen? So it was causing hard drives that with a 5400 RPM speed to crash. And they found out you didn't have to be playing the song on the hard drive. Uh, You could be just playing it off the internet. And then they found out you didn't even have to be playing the song on that computer. It could be on another audio source and the hard drive would crash. So like if you were playing it on your stereo? Exactly. Like if you actually literally had the record and you're playing the record in the room with the computer, you could crash the computer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, how does that work? Okay, how does that work? Well, the answer lies in something that we call frequency resonance. Okay. Does that ring any bells to you? <laughs> if it rings a bell, then is that but frequency resonance? It is actually. Well, it could be. <laughs> it could be. So most people have heard the, the term frequency re- with regard to sound. And yeah. f- frequency in sound is the same as a wavelength in light. We talk about the, the energy of sound 
we talk about it as a wave. It's right. not actually a wave. It doesn't actually flutter. The easiest way to think about it is if you throw a rock in a pool or a pond, you see yeah, ripples the... going out in all directions. Yeah. Well, that's the same thing. You're getting pulses of molecular vibration, usually in the air, because we're talking about air most of the time. But if you're underwater right. or underground, you st- still, the same thing is true, radiating from the original sound source. And if you throw a big rock, you get what's called a big amplitude, which is how loud the sound is. So we're not talking about the amplitude. We're talking about the frequency, which is basically how frequently do the molecules vibrate and how far apart are the peaks of these vibrations. One way to think about it is what, what musicians call concert A pitch is 440 kilohertz. Now that's something that we, that, you know, I could play an A on a guitar or an A on a piano and you'd hear it as an A and everyone else would be tuned to the same A, which is 440 vibrations per second. Right. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Just to give you some points of reference, things that are below, say, 25, 30 vibrations per second are subsonic. Animals like elephants and whales can hear them, but humans can't. But humans can't, yeah. Things like a mosquito buzzing is probably, I'm just guessing, between 10 and 12,000, and you can hear them, but once you get up to 15, 20,000, only kids can hear them, because adults have- um, Kids and dogs. Kids and, well, dogs, not forget dogs. I mean, animals can hear, like, crazy things. Yeah. But our, our, the bones in our middle ear have ossified too much to detect those by Vibrations. And in fact, there was a famous thing in the UK. Storekeepers were keeping teenagers from loitering on their porch by putting speakers blasting these frequencies really loud. The adults couldn't hear them. They just came in. The kids couldn't stand being there, so they left. <laughs> and I do this with my science students. I play them different frequencies and have them raise their hand if they can hear them. I can't hear the ones over a certain frequency. Oh, wow. Sometimes the teachers can, which other teachers can, which drives me crazy. Anyway, <laughs> so what happens in music is these different notes have different frequencies. And sometimes when the frequencies line up in a nice way, you get what we call a harmony. You have a nice sound. Okay. Because yeah. the, the mathematical frequencies line up in a good way. Sometimes you get dissonance, which is not a good, doesn't feel like a pleasant sound. It, does, it hits our ear awkwardly because the frequencies don't line up in a certain way. Right. Sometimes when you have a lot of sounds going on, let's say with an explosion, for example, or an earthquake, you have a lot of di- – well, actually, that's not a sound. Sorry. I'll get back to the, the earthquake in a second. Sometimes you get a whole bunch of things going on and you get by chance or by mathematical chance, the peaks of the waves – where they're not really waves, but we call them waves – line up together. And right. then you get something interesting happening. And now we'll go to the earthquake. So when you have an earthquake, you have the same thing. You have tremors. You have pulses of vibrations traveling right. away from a source. And sometimes if they line up in the wrong way – you'll get a much greater effect than the power of the initial thing. And frequency, we call that frequency resonance. That's what brings buildings down in earthquakes. Okay. It's not the power of the earthquake. It's the lining up of the different energy waves. Right. And they hit the same point at the same time, and down goes the building. Is that the same thing as when somebody does the... When they sing at a glass and the glass breaks, it's the same thing. At, well, I don't know, but I don't know if you can really sing. I guess you can, but it's the same thing as yes. When you put a put your when you wet your finger and you spin it around the outside of the the glass, you are getting okay. frequency resonance. Another uh, famous example of this is the Tacoma Narrows Bridge, called Galloping Gertie, which yeah, used to, I've seen the video. Yeah, of that. the video is crazy. This bridge is just waving around like it's made of rubber or something like, and eventually collapses. But even before it collapsed, it was known in high winds to vibrate in such a way that it undulated. The frequency right. resonance, just, the, the different energy waves moving around just hit too hard in one spot, 
and down went the bridge. Right. So that's what happens to these hard drives. The frequencies of the song and the spinning of the hard drive just lined up in a certain way so that the basically the energy in the sound wave was magnified by all the waves hitting at the same time or all the waves overlapping at the same point and these hard drives <laughs> would crash. And I believe Microsoft did something, put out a filter or something like that. There was a patch that they put in that would... Just to protect from this one song. (laughs) Right, that that would take that frequency out. So if you were playing it on your computer... That it would drop right. that frequency out, so it wouldn't, or at least one blow of the, the hard drive. At least. Yeah. It wasn't just one frequency. The point is, again, that you have multiple frequencies lining up at a certain place with the frequencies of the spinning hard drive to magnify the energy. And if I, th- you, yeah, yeah, I think, I think they only took one of those frequencies out, Probably. which which kept the hard drive from crashing. Yeah. So if you want to see frequency in action, go look up the Galloping Gertie, the Tacoma Narrows Bridge. Watch that video of the Tacoma Narrows Bridge. Flying around in the wind and finally collapsing. It looks like a giant, flat, wet spaghetti noodle before it crashes. It's it's wild. Yeah, it's and wild. The, the point is the wind did not have that much energy. What made it collapse was the frequency resonance of the various vibrations lining up in the wrong way and bringing the whole thing down. Right. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. We're going to rock your face off, Matt. Tell them all about it. That's right, Seth. The Rock You Fall concert is coming up Sunday, the 11th of December at La Boule Noire. All the details are on our website, www.rock-u.fr. Come check it out free and open to the public and see 18 incredible student bands rocking their faces off. All right, kids, we're back, and you know what's coming. The one-minute matchup. I'm ready. Been all right. Working all week. <laughs> okay, so the subject for today is, what's the better expense, gear or lessons? I'm going to say we're going to come down on the same side on this one, is what I we'll think see. we're going to do, but we'll see. we'll see. Okay, so am I going first or are you going first? Up to you. I'll go first. Okay, you ready? All right. My minute. Three, two, one, begin. I don't even think I'm going to need a minute. Um, unless you're playing like a two-string guitar that looks like a Swiss cheese with a bunch of holes in it, or you're playing a bunch of uh, busted-up five-gallon buckets with dowel rods for drums, I got to say that lessons are the best bang for your buck. Rarely, if ever, is gear by itself going to make you a better musician. Uh, us drummers know that if you have a horrible kit, but if you have skills, you can play that horrible kit and groove with it. I mean, shoot, that's what we do with house kits all the time, and we're expected to do that. Um, Lessons can get you to play better no matter what equipment you have. And I'm just going to be done now at 43 seconds. 43 seconds. All right. (laughs) Set it clean clean and straight. Okay. Yeah, and that's hard to do for Mine's a lawyer. Not be I, so I, clean and straight. I so. couldn't. I, you know, usually I get in trouble for being too verbose, but that one—that was an easy one for me. I think I get in more trouble than you do, and I'm going to make up for it now. I think <laughs> I'll, try, I'll try. Maybe not. Okay. My answer is we'll nuanced. See. All right. So. Your minute starts now. Okay, uh, Seth. I completely agree with you. Gear will not make you a better player. Lessons will. But that's not the question you asked. You said which is the better expense. Okay. Okay. So, all right. So uh, I will answer this. Yes. If your goal is to, is, if your goal is mastery, if your goal is to play better, it doesn't really matter what kind of gear you have. Lessons will. Lessons is the way to do that. However, as a musician, sometimes we find we express ourselves better in different ways. When people ask me about what kind of guitar to get, I often refer back to something Eric Clapton said. 
See, he plays the guitar. And if the guitar helps him, he buys it. If the guitar hinders him, he doesn't. There are instruments that will make you better because they work better for you. So sometimes there's a reason to invest in gear. I don't think it's necessarily more expensive gear, but just something that feels natural to you. Some of my favorite instruments are actually the cheapest. And something else, depending on your instrument, there are a lot of things you can get that will just help you express yourself better. My favorite example for that is effects pedals. Done. Right at, right at a minute. 59 and change. I, 59 I was watching. change. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, there's all, the, the world is full of people who spend a ton of money on their instruments and never learn to play them. Yeah. And, and the world's full of people who are making beautiful music on cheap instruments. Well, you said it yourself a, a few episodes ago about Prince buying, what was the brand of pedal? It's a, it, the cheaper? Oh, he, well, they're not cheap, but they're the same pedals that a teenager would buy who's into guitar. Boss pedals. Yeah, boss yeah. pedals. And I mean, Prince also famously played his Telecaster knockoff, which was, uh, yeah. was he bought for a, in a gas station for a, uh, like 30 bucks. I mean, so. you know, the better expense, I, honestly... Yeah, I mean, like I said, unless you've got something that is just absolutely horrible to play, you can have a cheap drum set with decent heads, mm -hmm. good enough cymbals that don't sound too poor, and you can make that thing sound amazing just by tuning it up correctly. But it, Yeah, true, but it doesn't have to be a horrible instrument. Sometimes you've got a perfectly decent instrument, it just doesn't work for you. And yeah. you pick up someone else's instrument, you'd be like, oh, this instrument is helping me play. Right. You should you should probably change. You know, from the drummer side of it, it's like your sticks. Like what are you what are you playing with? And sometimes sometimes you need something heavier because you don't you're not a hard hitter or if you're like I am, sometimes you need something a little lighter because you're hitting it too hard. Yeah. I I I just think that in in the grand scheme of things, it was like what we said about the the Strat versus Les Paul. Whatever feels better to you, that's what you should play. But if you're going to put the money into the expense, uh, I got to go with lessons all the way because that'll make you a better musician. And while, yeah, you may be able to feel better playing like that, you could pick up somebody else's guitar and be able to play it and play it well. Maybe so. I'm not totally disagreeing with you, but I always, li I always like to come back to the example of the Beatles. Uh, I don't not have a running tally of the number of music lessons taken by the individual Beatles, but I'm guessing, <laughs> except for Ringo, who might have taken some drum lessons, I'm guessing it's pretty close to zero. Yeah, but they're the exception rather than the uh, rule. Are they, though? All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I, I'm sorry. I got to throw this in. I think we just mentioned this. I don't remember if it was this podcast or the last episode, but Randy Rhodes... Ozzy Osbourne's guitar player always took was, lessons. Was famous. He'd get yeah, he'd get to a new city on the tour, get out the yellow pages, look up guitar teachers, and take a lesson. Yep. So, was there something on this podcast that you wanted to talk to us about? <laughs> Did we get something wrong? Do you not agree with some of the stuff that we said? Then you need to email us at podcast at rock-u.fr. This episode of Extra Credit, the Rock U podcast is brought to you by our good friends at Big Pebble Records. Big Pebble Records is your one-stop shop for music production in Paris. Everything from the creative side to the technical side to the business side. You can check out what they do at www.bigpebblerecords.com. And, of course, you'll hear a lot of Rock U artists on that label. Extra 
Extra Credit, the Rock U podcast, is a production of Rock U. Expertly engineered and recorded by my good friend Seth Inkley. And our theme music is written and produced by Tom Walters. Rock U is a nonprofit association, Loi 1901, and we'll see you next time.